Welcome to the Salty Journals podcast. Salty Journals is a podcast for anyone who loves having time in, on, or under the water. Please don't forget to subscribe and share the show if you enjoy it. So let's get into this. episode 10 of the Salty Journals podcast. Today we got the opportunity to speak with Erin Carey. Erin and her family set out to sail the world with zero previous experience at sea. With a lot of grit, determination and potentially a bit of good luck, the family of five enjoyed 18 months sailing in the Caribbean aboard the SV Rome and topped it off with lot of work, effort and time into getting that boat ready to go, but also getting themselves ready to go. On this episode, we talk about that, where the idea came from, how they got to the point of actually being able to buy a boat, and the sailing experience. Erin now runs Rome Generation, which looks towards helping clients raise their brand awareness, um, increases a lot of authority in their sector and area improves the reputation through work with media. Erin's done some great work already in um, building those skills and, and helping inspiring people. She's uh, linked some, some really big names and really big brands um, to further facilitate awareness. Uh, and that includes inspiring, you know, mission-driven organizations and working with marine brands, you know, to, to name a few, there's SV Delos, uh, exploring alternatives, um, and some of the big names like CNN, BBC, and Daily Mail. So join me today as we talk to Erin on how it all started, what the experience was like, and hopefully inspire you to take on a task like this. Might not be going sailing for 18 plus months, but um, it's good to hear and, and see somebody who's who's chosen to take an idea, passion, cause, and run with it. Make it reality. Three kids, two years, one boat, uh, an epic sailing trip, um, and an ocean crossing as well. Yeah, what, what brought you, what brought this decision on? What, what you know, what spurred this idea? Uh, would you believe that it? it was completely random? We... We were travellers prior, prior to having kids. You know, we'd done the backpacking thing around Europe and Asia and uh, we knew that we wanted travel to be part of our life with children, but it just didn't really seem that practical. And we were living pretty regular, well, completely regular lives. You know, three kids, the Labrador, in the suburbs, both worked pretty much full time. Um, I think in the back of my mind, I thought it would be cool to live overseas one day, but I probably thought that would be when the kids were a little bit older. And I was thinking, you know, like 12 months in Spain or something, that's about as adventurous as we'd thought. Um, and then one night we were just watching a podcast, mm. sorry, not a podcast, uh, a documentary on Netflix. 
um, completely random. I wasn't even going to watch it. My husband was just flicking through, picked this documentary. It was about Laura Decker, the youngest girl to ever sail around the world. And um, I'm like looking at my phone, not even paying attention. Something obviously grabbed my attention. I put my phone down and I just remember being like literally transfixed it was like we were just in a spell we both just sat there in silence for the whole show and by the end of it like the I just remember the credits rolling and we still just sat there staring at the screen and then we kind of turned to each other and went wow let's do it it was so weird like the fact that it resonated with both of us you know it's just unheard of because we weren't sailors I had uh, grown up sailing in a dinghy with my dad on an inland lake in Wagga Wagga in New South Wales. Mm. Uh, so, and it, I didn't enjoy it. He, I kind of got roped into it. He would take me along every couple of weeks to give mum a break. You know, I had three sisters. So if they could get rid of one of us, <laughs> dad would just drag us along. And I remember I used to get teased because of that, because all the cool kids would be in their speedboats. And I was so embarrassed about sailing. <laughs> it was not something that I ever thought would be in my future. But obviously something rubbed off on me because we watched that, that um, documentary. We moved straight to the computer. I remember we Googled family sailing around the world because we literally didn't even think it was possible. We're like, that's just crazy. We've got children. It's not even this is just stupid. Let's just Google it and see what happens. And straight away, Totem popped up mm. uh, and they have been circumnavigated. They circumnavigated. They've been going for 11 years now. They've got three children who were the same kind of age as my kids when we started. Mm. And we thought, wow, well, if they can do it, why can't we? And it kind of just went from there. We found uh, SV Delos's videos and started watching them and the Vagabonds and Within like a couple of weeks, we were we had made the decision that we were doing that, and we started telling people straight away. It was it was crazy. Like people literally laughed at us. They just it was just stupid. I remember making the announcement to my family. We're around the dinner table. It was like just before Christmas, and I, I remember saying, "We're going to buy a boat and sail away." And they almost like spat their dinner out, like spat their drinks across the table. Everyone just burst out laughing. And I was gutted because we were like serious. And everyone just was like, that. I remember my sisters actually said, that's the stupidest idea we've ever heard. I was like, oh, wow. Okay, now I'm definitely going to do it because you guys think that we can't. <laughs> and so, yeah, it was, uh, it just went from there. And at no point in the two years and two months that we took to save and be be ready to go did we doubt that it wasn't going to happen that's how and I honestly believe that's how it happened because we were so determined that the universe kind of just conspired to mm. figure out a way for it to happen and before we knew it we were flying out of Adelaide on one-way tickets to the other side of the world to go and see our boat for the very first time yeah yeah wow it's uh yeah it's incredible I can't imagine the um the roller coaster of, of preparation to, to get ready for a trip like that. Um, you know, I mean, there must've been budgeting, um, probably a fair bit of learning to sail in there as well. I guess you'd, you'd hope. Um, yeah. Had, tell me a bit more about how that um, all came together over those two years. Yeah. So uh, at, when we first came out with the idea, we'd never owned a boat. We didn't know how to sail. I mean, 
the lessons from dad hadn't really sunk in. So we were essentially starting from scratch. So we decided to buy a little 21 foot uh, trailer sailor and we pretty much practiced on that whenever we could. Every weekend we'd get out there with the kids. Uh, dad came and he was in his element, you know, <laughs> teaching his daughter that finally wanted to know how to sail. And um, we just we just taught ourselves along the way and we experimented, you know, like we did an overnight trip and then we, we all slept, all five of us slept in overnight. I remember down at the marina down at Glenelg, which is literally a half an hour drive away, but took us, mm. you know, five hours to get there and that was super exciting. And so, yeah, we just built up little things like that. Um, and we saved. So we we weren't in the position to buy a yacht and go to the other side of the world. We had probably no savings, maybe a few thousand dollars. We had credit card debt. We had a big mortgage. We were like <clears throat> definitely a run-of-the-mill kind of family and that's why I want to really stress to other people that if we can do it, <clears throat> you know, so can you because we, we weren't rich and we still figured out a way. So uh, we did so many little things like we overhauled our budget things that we didn't need to be paying for subscriptions and you know got rid of um, luxury items we stopped eating out we <clears throat> started shopping at Audi lots of little things that made you know a big change in the end uh, I applied for a promotion at my job we do overtime wherever we could um, we hosted international students in our house so um, you know, we'd have up to two students at a time living with us in our three-bedroom house. All the kids moved in literally into the lounge room. We have two lounge rooms, so they were all sleeping in the lounge room. And then we had a student in each room and then our room. So it was crazy. And a lot of people probably wouldn't have been willing to make that sacrifice. But you do. You have to make sacrifices. All it, You know, you're not going to be able to pull off something like that. Um, and we did a uh, course of my husband did his coxswain's course. We did sea seamanships. Um, I did a seamanship course. We did sea survival courses, uh, first aid courses. And other than that, we just read and networked and, uh, you know, spoke to as many people as we could. Um, and we crewed in, uh, like, Wednesday night sailing races. So that's about all we did. When we left... We weren't by any stretch of the imagination professionals or we barely even knew what we were doing, honestly. You know, there's only so much you can learn at home on a little boat. It's not really going to be relevant once you get overseas. Like we got to our boat and I remember looking and going, oh, my God, it is enormous. How on earth are we going to sail that thing? Like it, <laughs> it just it's huge compared to our 21-foot trailer sailor. Um, and we, we literally, it was on the hard and we stayed on the hard for about six weeks. But by the time we got it in the water, we literally didn't know how to move it from where it was just splashed to the mooring board. That's how ripe we were. We didn't know how to anchor. We didn't know how to work navionics or, you know, use a chart. Well, we knew how to use a chart, but we didn't have any paper charts at that stage. So anyway, yeah, we were really inexperienced but we learn along the way and <clears throat> it might sound risky or stupid what we did but it was very um <clears throat> it was still very sensible and controlled and 
we never took risks. So we would research the life out of every single thing that we did. Mm. And it was, yeah, very controlled kind of risks that we took. Yeah. Yeah. I can imagine a lot of um, applied determination and um, yeah, the, 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 the sort of piece picking through every little detail is, um, is required for, for, for a voyage and, and a trip like that. Um, yeah. How did you, how did you find the boat? I mean, obviously it's, um, yeah, it's quite, kind of a world away, uh, rocking up to a, to a boat. Um, so where, where was that boat and how did you come across it? So it was located in Grenada in the Caribbean. So it's one of the uh, little islands right at the bottom, the south end of the Caribbean chain. Uh, we actually kind of, we knew we didn't want to start in Australia. So we were able to rule that out. Boats in Australia are more expensive. Uh, they're harder to find. And we live in the southern part of Australia. So that means straight up our first passage would be literally around, you know, the bottom of Australia. It's just not how we wanted to start our trip. So uh, we had kind of decided that we would either go to the Mediterranean or the Caribbean. And my heart was kind of in the Mediterranean. The thought of sailing around the Greek islands and past Positano and Sorrento and all of the places in Italy. And I just thought, <laughs> let's just start there because it makes sense. We can kind of head back towards Australia. And it, we had, had met since met a family who had done that exact trip. So we were, you know, in contact with him and they, they lived in Australia, in Adelaide actually. So we had um, met up with them several times and knew that they had done that trip in two years. So we thought, well, if they can do that in two years, then we should hopefully be able to do something similar. So we'd had our hearts set on starting the Mediterranean, but as life would have, have you know, have it, our boat actually showed up in the Caribbean. And I, we, by that stage, we'd been searching for a, a good few months at least. Um, we'd had narrowed down. We knew what we wanted by this stage. Um, but a big part of that was hiring the help of Jamie and BN from Sailing Totem. They've got a coaching program. And they were a huge help in the whole process. So from the start, I think we worked with them for about 12 months. We worked with them um, literally not knowing any kind of boats or anything about keels or, you know, hull material or, uh, you know, whether we wanted a catamaran or a, a monohull to buying our boat. And actually they were a huge <clears throat> part of the, um, the reason of how we came to buy our boat. I found the boat on Facebook of all places and at this stage I had been emailing Jamie pretty much every day saying, oh, you know, I found a boat, I found a boat and he probably would have been rolling his eyes going, oh, God, another <laughs> another one because at the start I was pretty clueless and was emailing through ridiculous boats and he would be like, oh, you know, this one might not be right because it's got this, this and this and I'd be like, oh, okay. So anyway, by the time I found my boat, I... I knew that it was the one because it had ticked all of the boxes that Jamie had been saying were important. And it happened to be literally in, in the bay beside where they were located. So they sailed around the world for 10 years. Our boat was located in the next bay. And I was just like, this is just too good to be true. So I messaged Jamie. He's, he said, yep, that's around the corner. We'll go and look at it tomorrow. And he did. And he, he went and looked at it and it was, it saved us having to literally travel to the other side of the world to go and look at a boat because realistically mm. we figured what can we really add at this stage? We were still pretty ripe and didn't know a great deal about what to look for when buying a boat. 
and we had built a relationship with Jamie and Ben and we really trusted them. So uh, he went and checked out the boat for us and we waited, you know, eagerly for his phone call. And um, yeah, he's, you know, there were things wrong with it. There's things wrong, wrong with every boat. Um, we weighed up our options and decided that it was going to be good for us. And we bought the boat. Um, we got a, a survey done as well. And then, yeah, we did the whole transaction site unseen, um, you know, through through the online money transferring kind of program. <laughs> and a couple of weeks later, we owned a boat. So it was, we were very lucky, but I don't think it was a fluke. Like we did a lot of research and a lot of, you know, investigating and we had people look at the boat for us. So, I mean, some people will probably think it's crazy that we bought it sight unseen, but by the time we bought it, we felt comfortable with our decision. And, you know, we, bar a couple of little things um, being a surprise, like the main sale was had it. Uh, other than that, everything went well and she definitely wasn't a lemon. So, yeah, we're pretty lucky. <laughs> so it's definitely definitely a relief not picking up a, a, a lemon lemon boat from all those miles away and, and turning up um, to, to see it and, and finding it. And what was that? What was that experience like? Um, not rocking up to a lemon. What was uh, yeah? What was your first impression of the boat? Oh, it was it was crazy. Like honestly, the absolute best feeling in the world. We had arrived into this beautiful, warm island in the Caribbean. Never, we'd never been in the Caribbean before. Um, the air smelt like cinnamon and nutmeg, and there were frangipanis everywhere. And we honestly fell in love with Grenada and I still to this day out of all the places we've been Grenada is like my number one my heart just aches to get back there one day um and but yeah we rocked up to the boatyard and it was a Sunday nobody was there no one met us we didn't know where our boat was so we were walking around this boatyard full of boats really not knowing which one was ours um because we didn't know it that intimately yet and I'm, so I'm pointing at, you know, is it this one? Is it this one? And my husband's like, you know, that one's got a, <laughs> a completely different keel to ours. Well, that one's, you know, not, no, that one's like 60 foot. <laughs> um, but anyway, so we eventually found our boat. And, um, yeah, like I said, our first uh, um, thought was, oh, my God, it is massive. And what the hell are we doing? How are we <laughs> going to sail that thing? Um, yeah, so it was crazy. And, and now that we're back and it's all over and done with and we're in Australia now and with no idea of if and when we'll get back to the boat because of the coronavirus, it all kind of seems like a dream. But at the time, it was honestly like, yeah, the best, the absolute best feeling in the world. Yeah, yeah, fantastic. And um, what, was the, what was the experience like um, getting it into the water and, um, yeah, managing managing um three boys during that time of uh yeah getting getting the boat launched and um ready for a, a voyage it was it was really interesting I, it was lucky that we were so keen and excited and determined because if we had to do it again i don't think we could um we lived in the boatyard for six weeks if anyone's been in a boatyard they're not fun places to be they're hot and dusty and dirty and dangerous chemicals everywhere and even just in the ground they kept the grounds full of chemicals and the kids are like playing you know you catch them sitting in piles of anti-found you're just like oh, <laughs> up. you know we told you you're not allowed on the ground you can't play like that you can't you know you're there 
there doing something else, you know, it's a big pile of steel and just like, it was really, it was really difficult, but we were just so excited that we made it work. Like our boat, when it was on the stands was a good three meters off the ground. Mm. Our youngest was three years old at the time, which is crazy now looking back that we did that, but he was three and um, we had to climb up like a three meter ladder every single time we wanted to get on and off the boat. And as you can imagine with three boys, the minute you get up there, they of course have to go to the toilet. <laughs> so we were just so scared of them. One of them falling off. Like my husband rigged up this like harness system. So every single time we'd go up and down the boat, we'd put a harness on the kids, lower them down, pull it back up, harness the next kid. <laughs> and so, yeah, it was a nightmare. Honestly, there were mosquitoes everywhere. It was boiling hot. Um, we didn't have a fridge. We didn't have a toilet. Um, what else? <laughs> we, the, once we looked at the boat from the outside and thought it was huge, when we climbed up and went down into the saloon, my first thought was, oh, my God, this is tiny. How are we going to live in this? So we were adjusting to, like, a tiny space and with everything else on top of it. It sounds like a recipe for disaster, but honestly, we loved it. It was mm. <laughs> so exciting, so different. Because we didn't have a fridge or any running water, we gave ourselves permission to eat out every meal. So we just were eating all the local food, eating, you know, roadies every day. And uh, we found like a local kind of like the university, there's a big university there. So we found like the local kind of food court and every night we'd go there and have burgers. And it was just a really fun time. My husband worked his butt off. We had like a, a we'd gotten a survey from the, ins um, from the surveyor and the insurance company wouldn't insure our boat until we had completed every single item on that survey. And, you know, like I'm not talking just little items. I mean, not just big items. There were little items on there, like the sticker on the side of your boat is damaged. You need to fix that before we're going to insure you. Like it was ridiculous. And, uh, you know, it's so time consuming. And I think after about five six weeks I was I emailed the insurance company and just said look we've got all the big things done we definitely have all of the critical things all the safety things everything's done things like you know you need to replace a washer in a tap or the carpet's lifting in this part of the boat like can we please go at least on anchor or mooring ball to finish the rest off mm. thankfully they allowed that because we were desperate to get on the water um and I remember like the day that we splashed and we got out there it was just the absolute best day ever. Um, but we were then stuck on a mooring ball for a, a, probably another six weeks. So I think all in all, it was about three months of full on prep and my husband working so hard. Um, and my sole job was to just look after the kids and keep them entertained. But that was kind of nice because I'd been working full time and I hadn't spent a lot of time with the kids and it was a huge part of the reason as to why we wanted to do this in the first place. So being able to just hang out together all day long and explore like this beautiful island of Grenada was a really special, magical time. And um, yeah, if we had to do it again, I think it would be a lot harder, but determination and everything being new and exciting definitely made it made it fun yeah yeah wow yeah certainly um sounds like there was a lot of, lot of drive behind that that final push um to to get going and get moving um and what was your first uh what was your first sale like where, where did you go and what was the trip like 
Our first day was actually a disaster. Uh, we finally got the courage to leave and there was some other things that were kind of holding us back. The people that we bought the boat off still owed us different certain parts of the boat and mm. it just kept dragging on and on and then in the end there just some money and in the end we just went that's it we're leaving we can't keep waiting here we need to go and we'd met some really nice friends as you do in the cruising community everyone's so cool and they were making the hop to the to Karakou which is like I think about 40 miles maybe um north of Grenada and we're like well this is perfect we'll go with them you know we've heard all about buddy boats we'll do the buddy boat thing and we'll be fine but we trusted we completely trusted him we didn't really check the weather because we're like well you know Tony knows what he's doing it must be fine (laughs) and we didn't really know where we were going on the chart he'd said Sandy Island and I found a Sandy Island it was a bit north of Grenada I guess that was it Anyway, we're getting out and we're kind of, he's heading in this bit of a different direction to Sandy Island on our chart and we radioed him and he's like, no, no, that's not it. It's Sandy Island, like, you know, above Karakou, like another, you know, six hours away or something. So we had completely underestimated the journey. Our first <laughs> sail ended up being like a nine-hour sail and <laughs> we hadn't chatted it out properly. We left at like... 12 midday or something like ridiculous it was completely stuffed up we just did not do it well and anyway as it turns out it was the worst weather we had of the entire trip we had 40 knot winds huge seas our engine died and the sun was going down it was it ended up becoming nightfall and we had no engine and we were still a good few hours away from our anchorage so we had broken every rule on the very Mm. first sail and of yeah. course, you know, that that kind of plays with your mental state a bit. We're just like, what are we doing? This is ridiculous. We are, we have three children that we're meant to be looking after, and we're, we're risking their life. <laughs> yeah, we felt pretty stupid after that first sale, so it was a good lesson. But in the end, um, we we radioed the coast guard, and they didn't answer, and <laughs> didn't nothing came when it came from that. <laughs> So our friends who we were meant to be buddy boating with who yeah. had made it into Anchorage about three hours earlier uh, heard us on the radio and they came and rescued us and literally towed us in on our very first sail. So they were in like a 40-foot um, Bavaria or something and I remember I had to helm the boat because mm. my husband had to throw the tow rope and I had to, like, so I'm like, two meters away from this beautiful yacht and i'm having to not go through the wind which is hard for someone who has hardly any sailing experience in the dark and not crash into their boat um and my husband's on the edge and i'm i was in tears by this stage and the kids are all crying and he's having to throw the rope to (laughs) tony and you know or actually i think tony was throwing it to us and they had to make sure he caught it and then before the rope went tight, he had to run up the side of our boat, threading it around all of the, the stays so that we didn't rip our mast down and then tie a knot before the rope went tight. And yeah. I remember Tony yelled out, tie a knot that you can cut under pressure. And Dave's like, I only know one knot. <laughs> so we had to play the boy line because that's all that we knew. <laughs> and, yeah, look, it's funny now. We can laugh about it. Um, 
at the time it was scary, but it was it was a good lesson. And you know what? That was the worst sale of our whole whole trip. We crossed an ocean less than eighteen months later, and it went much better than that. Certainly, a good way to break the ice. Uh, getting a yeah. few few things wrong on the first first trip. Um, yeah. Good good learning lessons, I'm sure. Um, and then, yeah, you, you uh, obviously there would have been a bit more sailing sailing in between, but then ultimately you you took a major a major crossing. Um, how was the, the the build up to that and um, the overall trip as well? Yeah, so we bought our boat, a Moody Forty Seven, knowing that we wanted to cross an ocean. Had we have just wanted to island hop around the Caribbean, we would have bought you know, like a newer modern boat would have been open plan, you know, huge cockpit. But we had this old boat, which was smaller down below centre cockpit. Um, obviously, it was a great boat and it had all, all the right features for an ocean crossing. But you wouldn't probably have chosen that boat if you knew you weren't going to cross an ocean. So I think in the back of our mind, we always kind of knew we wanted to cross an ocean. It was just like this I think after watching Laura Decker, we were just like, we just want to experience that feeling of being completely in the middle of an ocean and I think also like just completely being away from the hustle and bustle of the world and being in our own little world. Um, so I think after maybe 12 months of sailing around the Caribbean, we started to get confident, you know, we'd done overnight passages, we'd, we'd you know, experienced quite a few um, conditions and look, by all means, I admit that we obviously weren't seasoned sailors. We'd only been sailing for 12 months. But again, with lots of research, um, we kind of decided that we were comfortable with crossing the ocean. So we made our way up to St Martin, which is towards the top of the island chain. And that's where we were going to do our, our jump from to head over to the, um, the Azores. And we got there in about February and we were due to leave in, we we're going to leave around the start of June. We'd done our research and decided that the start of June was usually lighter winds and we were okay with having lighter winds. We had a stack of fuel and we, uh, you know, got, had a stack of jerry cans with extra fuel. We, were, we knew that if we had to motor a majority of the way we could, um, but we would have rather have the lighter winds and motor than have the heavier weather. So that was just the decision that we made. Um, so, yeah, when we arrived in February, we thought that we would just stay for a couple of weeks, then go to the USVIs, the BVIs, come back, you know, in about May, do a month of prep and then go. We never left St Martin after February. We literally had four solid months of boat work and it was just like one thing after the next. But we knew, we decided if we were going to do this, we weren't going <clears> to <throat> take any risks. So we re-rigged our boat. We replaced sails. We replaced, like, so many things. I mean, all the seacocks and everything had already been done prior to, you know, when we um, launched. But there were still so many little things that we wanted to uh, improve or buy or, you know, store, um, store up on that we just worked and again my husband worked pretty solidly that whole time um, and it, it was really hard I would say that that was one of the well, probably the hardest part mm. besides homeschooling that was harder <laughs> mm. 
But the second hardest part of the whole trip was the preparation for that. And it was really expensive as well. It was more expensive than what we had budgeted for and hoped for. And literally a week before we were due to leave, we pretty much decided that we weren't going to go. We were down to our last like $5,000. We had, that's all we had left, $5,000. And we we're just thinking, this is crazy. Like if we cross an ocean, we're going to arrive on the other side with, you know, enough for like a month or two and that's it. What's the point of going all that way? But we, you know, we spoke to fellow cruisers and I was, you know, doing my sailing to Rome page. We had heaps of support on there and I started like a Patreon page for mm. a couple of months, I think prior to that. And so many people were so generous and like they, they just really wanted us to succeed. So, you know, <laughs> people made a few more donations for petrol and, you know, gasoline and, um, I think we got like a couple of sponsorships and we're in the end, we we're just like, look, we've got this far. We can't just turn around and go back to Grenada as much as we love Grenada. We've already spent by that stage about eight months in Grenada. Hurricane season was coming up again. It was like, we either go or we go home. Mm. And, you know, of course, all of the worries and fears about the actual crossing were also cropping up. Is this crazy? We had um, organised to have two extra crew come with us. One was going to be uh, a young lady who was going to help with the kids and schooling. And then another one was a guy who was a, you know, a good sailor, really strong and fit. And we were comfortable with that. But then like a few weeks before the guy pulled out and then we were like completely questioning and doubting whether this was sensible to go with two women and a man, all of whom weren't strong sailors or not my husband was a good sailor but realistically we'd only been sailing for 18 months um but in the end we decided to do it and you know what it was the absolute best thing we've ever done my greatest achievement and I'll be able to say that I've you know crossed an ocean even when I'm like a 90 year old lady which I think is super cool I don't think that the novelty of that's ever going to wear off so yeah so yeah. so glad that we did it yeah, damn right. Oh, I can't imagine that would uh, would go anywhere soon. It's um, yeah, it's it's definitely on my bucket list. Um, don't tell my wife. Well, I think she knows anyway. But um, yeah, it's it's up there. Um, but yeah. So then, so then, um, you know, coming back to to Australia and Adelaide, um, and settling in to 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 life. I mean, how's that been for for you, for your husband, for the boys? Um, it's quite a quite a marked change between. Um, yeah. Look, it hasn't actually been easy and, um, you know, I'm not going to lie, it's, it's been a bit of a struggle for all of us. I started up my business, I had started it while we were on the boat and then it kind of formalised it all when we got back. So I've been really busy building my website and just getting all of that up and running. So it's almost like I kind of stuck my head in the sand and kept myself busy doing that. But my husband and kids were... I think I've just inevitably delayed it until like right now the coronavirus hit and I was like, oh, hold on a minute. I haven't stopped for a couple of years. I'm just going to stop and now I'm falling in a heap and been watching way too much Netflix, but I'll get back to work soon. But um, yeah, my husband and kids have gone through, have already gone through that period of feeling like, oh, our life is really different back here and 
we don't have that excitement that you had on the boat. Like every day on the boat, something could happen that makes you feel alive. Whereas mm. back home, life's really comfortable back home and you can easily fall into the trap of, oh, it's quite nice just curling up on the couch and watching TV as a family or going for a walk. I mean, that's about as exciting as life is, particularly now that we're kind of in isolation. But you forget how good life actually was on the boat you know you'd see sunsets and you'd dive and see animals under the ocean swim with um, turtles or see dolphins while you were sailing Um, you know we saw whales we'd met meet amazing people and I think that's a huge part of it is the people that you meet on a boat are like you know, if you can think of the most motivating people that you know, just imagine that every single person on a boat is them. So every day you're surrounded by a really positive, uplifting people. And then you kind of come home to, you know, Australia or wherever your home is. And people are different. The lifestyle is different. The pace is much faster but you get fewer rewards and mm. honestly like it's pretty you know flatline the the highest point of your day might be watching a good show on netflix whereas like you know if you're on the boat it's more like this the lows are much lower of course but the lows are bearable because the highs are so high so yeah and the kids fitting back into school hasn't gone as well as i'd hope it would either um but in saying that you know we're five six months on now and we're finally all pretty much back on track so maybe I was naive to think that it would have been easy and that it would have only taken a couple of months but it's probably taken a good five six months to really settle in Mm. um funny now that we are actually on isolation and all working from home and homeschooling again which (laughs) never thought that I'd be saying that I was homeschooling again especially back home um but it's really nice and I'm liking it and it feels like we're back on the boat and it feels like maybe the world's getting a taste of what it was like for us living on the boat, slowing down and just being with one another and enjoying each other's company. Yeah. Yeah. Fantastic. Yeah. Puts a lot, lot more meaning in, in just little things like going for a walk in the evening, you know, really simple stuff that, um, yeah. you know, you can get a lot of appreciation out of rather than running around at a million miles an hour um, and, you know, flying places and everything else. So no, I, 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 I totally agree. I think it's, um, I think it's been a, an interesting experience, but I could imagine it would have been quite a challenge from from such a um, rewarding and um, epic journey that, that you've uh, you've been on. Yeah, uh, fantastic. Um, and then I, I think obviously we, we only talked touched on a little bit on on Rome generation, but um, you know that this is this is a key focus for you now. Um, as much as being a mother, I'm sure. Um, but um, yeah, do you mind telling us a little bit more about? Uh, how that works. I think it's it's really interesting. Yeah. I would like to share that with <clears throat> listeners. So <clears throat> while we're actually the very first day that we splashed our boat, Delos arrived at the boatyard and they were there as we splashed. And then when we anchored our boat for the very first time, we were anchored right next to Delos. So I don't know if your listeners know who they are, but SV Delos, like the number two YouTube sailing channel in the world. Um, <clears throat> they were like, totally our inspiration so meeting them so early on in our journey was like meeting movie stars and then we kept bumping into them up the up to the island chain so that was like it was awesome for us you know we didn't really idolize movie stars or 
you know, athletes or anything, they were kind of like <clears throat> the people that we looked up to and to ultimately become friends with them was pretty cool. Um, but about 12 months into our trip, we were, our funds were dwindling much faster than we'd hoped they would have been. And we were like, okay, we need to figure out a way to make money. And we both worked for the government. We'd never had our own business. We Our skills were you know, pretty generic. I, there was nothing that I could think that I could do that was going to earn us money fast. So I really had to rack my brain. And with my husband, like completely, his time was taken up um, maintaining the boat because that was pretty much a full-time job. It was like, all right, I'm happy to work. I'm just going to figure it, see what I can figure out. And I kept getting feedback on my Sailing to Rome Facebook page about people liking my writing and that I was, you know, really real and raw and people appreciated that. So I thought I would try my hand at writing and I ended up doing pretty good. And I now write for most of the big sailing magazines, um, you know, because we were living this cool lifestyle and I had lots of things to always write about because, you know, that's just the nature of what we were doing. Um, so when we were, happened to be in the same anchorage as Delos at one stage, but um, by this stage I was writing for the Caribbean Compass, which is just a local kind of magazine in the area, and they asked me to go and interview Delos, which, you know, it was obviously super exciting. So I went over there and interviewed them for an article, and um, after that I kind of, we just maintained a relationship and... Then I ended up doing some work for them. So they asked me to do some kind of like um, PR work for them and combining that with my writing that I was already doing, I kind of made up this business model that brought both things together. Um, and I also had written another article about um, YouTubers and how difficult it was or how, you know, I wanted to investigate how easy is it to make money through YouTube because so many people seem to be doing it, but from what I could see, it seems like they weren't making a lot of money and it seems like a lot of hard work. So I did an article on that and I kept kind of hearing the same thing from everyone that I interviewed was that we love making videos, but <clears throat> they're so time consuming. We then don't have time to do everything else that is required of a YouTube channel, like social media and promoting ourselves and, you know, writing stuff about ourselves and stuff. So I just thought, well, I'm going to approach these businesses, people that I looked up to. So my business model became about working with people that I found inspiring, people that were living life differently, doing these amazing things and ultimately inspiring lots of other people like myself to step out of their comfort zone and do really cool things. I wanted to help them promote themselves so that they could essentially help more people and inspire more people to live life differently and it's kind of just grown from there. So um, Dallas became one of my clients, which was super exciting. Like a pinch, it was like a pinch myself moment to think I now work for Dallas. You know, like I've idolized these guys and now I'm working as part of the Dallas team. It was so exciting and still is. And, um, and I've just got other clients along the way that uh, are out there living this lifestyle. And I guess the beauty of the fact that I have lived on a boat and I know what it's like living on a boat. And quite often I can ghost write articles for people that, you know, um, I've got a client at the moment who's got a kite surfing business while outside sailing. 
sailing wild side. He's killing me that right. Um, and <clears throat> he lives in the Grenadines. And, you know, we all throughout the Grenadines and I can easily write or help him write articles about that because I've been there, I've done it, I know what it's like being on a boat. Um, so that's kind of, you know, my point of difference where other people, you know, they can be <clears throat> your publicist as well, but do they really understand your lifestyle? Do they get what it is that you're trying to do and the message that you're trying to share? Um, so, yeah, it, and it's it's amazing. I absolutely love it. I get to work with inspiring people every day and it keeps me motivated and excited to eventually get back to our boat because we still own our boat <clears throat> and the plan is, <clears throat> excuse me, is to get back to the boat. Um, now, obviously, with the coronavirus and the borders all being shut, we don't know if and when that will ever happen. Hopefully, it will one day. Um, but, you know, the longer that it's sitting there, the more money it's going to cost us to repair things and whatever when we get back to it. But, yeah, the plan is to go back to our boat uh, and work, you know, run Rome Generation from my cockpit in wherever we are in the world and inspire, help inspire other people to just live life differently. Hope you enjoyed the show. As always, please feel free to share, like, and make sure everyone knows about what we're doing here. Music Underneath is by the very talented Richard Horton. Rather aptly named album, Music for Drifters. Track number two, Amigos. Thanks again for listening.